All right, but we're talking about a happy subject, um, but we're also talking a subject that's over our head. So we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> we're just trying to, we're just bringing it up to get us to think, to say, what does heaven look like? What is, uh, um, well, what it's going to be like when we're there? Um, and try to just get a, a picture of it. And as I mentioned before, is that I can sit here and we could talk about, we can sit here and talk about hell. And as we talk about hell, our minds still cannot conceive uh, what is going to happen in regards to hell. Um, the Bible talks specifically about the New Jerusalem and talks about heaven. Um, we can read it, we can study it, um, but we cannot get inside of it in the concept of our minds completely understanding it. Uh, so we're just going to throw some things out there and say, okay, well, what is in heaven? And then we're going to say some words that are spoken in the human language, but we just cannot grasp the concept and the beauty of it. So we just get to relax with the subject and have fun with the subject. And uh, this morning, we're just going to go over again the New Jerusalem um, that came down from heaven. So just number one in our notes, this is the same way we started it last week. The New Jerusalem comes down from heaven, and we live with a new heaven and a new earth. If you were not here last week, we went through the passage, which is two chapters, a chapter and a half in Revelation, and then there's a chapter in, in uh, Isaiah that gives specifics about the new Jerusalem. And uh, so we went through the specifics, but last week we talked about what was not there. <laughs> so within the explanation in Revelation of John seeing the vision of heaven, uh, he mentions things that are there, but he mentions a whole lot of things that are not there. And the things that are not there carry a lot of power and give us an understanding of what heaven could look like because the things that are not there, we understand that. So we look at number letter A, it says, there was no C. You know, we understand what C is. It's interesting that John's first statement, the new heavens, the new earth come down, all of a sudden, whoa, there's no C. That's the first thing he said about it. He didn't say, wow, there's something there. He said, wow, there's not something here. So just, um, we said there's no C, there's no more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. There's no temple, there's no more sun, moon, or night. There's no closed gates. There's no impure thing will ever enter into heaven, and there will be no more curse. So those are all the things that are not there. And if you want it, it's on the internet if you want to um, go and listen to uh, last week's preaching, because you kind of need both of them together of what's there and what's not there. So today we're going to talk about what is there. And again, it's going to be um, um, just a taste of it. We won't be able to get the full conception of what is there. First thing we need to understand is in the city... Everything um, is new. Now, whenever we see a word that we understand, we want to feed off the word. Uh, we completely understand the word new. We live in a modern society that is fascinated with the new. And when we get something new, there's a feeling inside of us like, oh, this is, this is great. This is fresh. This is beautiful. This is strong. Um, there's a starvation, a thirst that even comes uh, for, for the new. Um, how many of you ever, don't show your hands, have ever gone shopping? <laughs> if, you, if you go shopping, what takes place? You, you walk through all these new things, and it is called enjoyable. Why would shopping be enjoyable? <laughs> well, the reason why shopping is enjoyable is because we are fascinated with the new. 
We are fascinated with having the new. We're fascinated with observing the new. We're fascinated with owning uh, the new. And then when the new gets old, there's almost like a, a little hunger that goes, I got to get something. I got to get something else. My car drives really, really good, but boy, did you see the new one that they made down now? It's, it's like 10 times as modern as the other one. It doesn't have, you know, the navigation system or something. So then there's almost this, this step towards the new. So all of us understand this word, and we know this little, what is it, a thirst? <laughs> a little uh, hunger um, that is there? Well, there's a huge difference between the world and heaven. And the huge difference between the world and heaven is that the new gets old. <laughs> that the new gets staled instantly. This emotion starts going, I got something new, but then the new does nothing but start fade, 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 fade. And what happens is that we fade with it. In fact, the more new we get and the more new we have and the more new that fades, the more almost depressed we can get. Why? Because all of our new starts to starts to die. So if you hang on to this world, it's almost like going into almost a, even a pit of despair because all the new we receive does not last. Everything is going to the grave. And we feel this um, in our bodies as well. What's the glory of a young man? It's his, it's his youth. It's his strength. And as we're older, it's like, boy, if I could just be 20 again. And, uh, and just kind of look back at those things in a sense that, you know, new is, is good. Uh, can we have it? But yet in this earth, everything that we touch is new is pulling us into um, something that fades. That is why many rich people are the most loneliest people in the world. That is why many rich people um, can, are extremely depressed. And the reason why is because they tasted everything and it's not enough because it continues to go down. So when you look at the Bible, what does the Bible say? It says there will be a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. A new heaven and a new earth just instantly explaining what is happening. But Revelation 21, just go down a couple of verses, says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, if you think about this, John is looking at this vision. And as he's looking at this vision, God is in the process of making things new now. There's a heaven that's out there that he has, I'm not going to say made new, but making is a process, meaning you're going to get New, 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 new that will never fade. You'll get new, 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 new that has a grip on you that will continue to give you, this is amazing, this is rich, this is strong. And you will be emotionally moved, like we're moved when we see the earthly things and say, oh, I have something new. But you'll be emotionally moved for eternity as he is continuing to make things new, 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 new. What's also interesting is that we get a taste of that here on earth. In other words, we get a taste of heaven um, on earth. How many times have you heard the gospel? Um, you've probably heard the gospel a lot. What is it? You know, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for his sins, and rose again. Um, does that refresh you almost every time you hear it? 
does that just make you excited every time you see how the word works? The Bible is something that makes you new, that you can read a passage that you read all the time and then read it, and it's just completely different. In fact, it's something that's completely rich. It's something I've never heard that before. Um, the Bible is the only book that you can read over and over and over and over again and then just never even get enough. And the reason why is because the new continues to pull out. The new continues to, to, to come at you through the Word of God. That's just a taste of, of heaven. That it doesn't get stale. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as you continue to go to it. Now, that is not the material possessions we have on this earth. Material possessions get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as we hold on to it. But the Bible gets bigger and bigger and bigger and richer and richer and richer. And people come to church every week more than they come to football games. And the reason why is because there's this hunger through the Spirit of God that is making you new through the Spirit that is being spoken. It's interesting about the Bible. What does the Bible consistently say? You are a new creature. Does that mean that you're new and then it's done? No, it means that you are a new creature born again where life is going to continue to thrive in you, move you, excite you, new vision, new worldview, new life, new eternity, new God, new king. That's what salvation is. So what happens is the new grabs a hold of you and it doesn't get stale because it lives forever. So we can literally get a taste um, of heaven, um, get a taste of heaven by just looking at the concept of what the Bible is, is doing in our life. And, and uh, Tim Keller even made a um, kind of a radical statement, and uh, his radical statement is that is it more important for us to be nice, or is it more important for us to be new? <laughs> and what does the gospel do? Does the gospel make you nice? Or should the gospel make you new? If the gospel makes you new, nice and life will come out. But if we look at the gospel that if I am going to receive the gospel so I'll be a nice person, the gospel is not big enough for you. And the reason why, because it's not designed just to make you nice. It's designed to make you into a completely and entirely new, different person. So what is heaven going to taste like? Just try to taste the flavor of it. It will never stop. It will grow and grow and grow with this taste of new that we all know because we've, we've bought things, we've purchased things, and we've seen things in this world, and it will grow and grow and grow um, inside of us. So number three, going through the city. The city will shine with the glory of God. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> but we can take a little glimpses of it, of what it looks like. We know Moses went to Mount Sinai and saw God, and he came back, and the glory was shining so much from his face that the people said, Moses, put on a veil. We can't stand to look on you because the glory is so bright. The glory is so beautiful. We see Isaiah, who fell down to the ground into the temple um, during Uzzah's, um, uh, walked into the temple after Uzzah di Uzziah died. And uh, after he died, he walked in the temple, and the Holy of Holies showed up. He was on the ground like, ah, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. See, what happens is you see this, this glory that comes out, and it's obvious that it comes out in power, comes out in beauty, it comes out in majesty. Can we explain it? Um, 
No. <laughs> but I think it's going to be pretty, I think it's going to be, well, of course, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Revelation 21, 10 through 11 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. His brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear as jasper. Now he's just trying to explain the glory. And so as he's trying to explain the glory, what does he put in there? It's like a stone, crystal, clear, jasper. Um, does that really, I don't want to make a statement that's against the Bible, but does that really do it um, justice? Um, this is the explanation to the human being that says, this is the only concept that you can see in regards to the glory that will come down. And this is what I'm going to describe it as. Crystal clear is jasper. That's as far as we can go, understanding the glory. When we show up, we're going to go, wow, it's going to be huge. One of the large things that come from the city. Number four, the city has 12 gates and 12 foundations. I just um, want to continue to remind this. We're going to talk to you further about this, and we're going to even show pictures possibly at the end of this lesson or next week of what the heavens look like. Um, there's three um, different heavens. Um, there's um, an atmosphere, or there's an earthly heaven. That's a new world, the new earth. And then there's an um, atmospherical heaven that's, you know, outer space, you know, in the, the atmosphere. And then there's a third heaven, which is, which is beyond. So what's going to happen in the New Jerusalem is the, um, the New Jerusalem is going to come out of the heavens, meaning out of the third heaven beyond, and through the universe. And where is it going to land? It's going to land where? On on the earth. Now the earth is going to be new. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be cool. We'll just put it that way. We'll just, you know, just go basic. But it's going to land on the earth. And then the new earth is going to be the capital of the three heavens. What is that? The new earth, the universe, and even beyond the universe. So it's, it's going to be huge. But what's interesting is this is going to be the capital so is it going to be anchored to the planet of the new earth? Um, it is going to be anchored to the planet of the new earth. How do we know it's going to be anchored to the planet of the new earth? The city has 12 gates, and it has 12 foundations, saying that this is where the foundation is going to be laid. Now what's interesting about the gates is, I'll read the verse, and let's see if we can find the thing that's interesting about the gates. Revelation 21 and 12 asks a question. What's interesting about these gates? It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and their names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. What is interesting about those gates? The gates are named after what? The 12 tribes of Israel. How important is this world? Is this, God really invested into this world? Um, is God really invested into people? Does God really give a rip about the human being? Does God really care about Abraham and his promise to Abraham? Well, he's building his kingdom, the capital, which is fascinating to me, the capital of heavens with 12 gates, with who? The 12 tribes of Israel having on their name. See, when God made a covenant to um, Abraham, uh, how strong was that covenant? 
How powerful is that covenant? Is he going to name things of his heaven after the covenant he made to a human being? <laughs> is this world really that important? To me, that says this world is extremely important to be naming the gates over the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, how beautiful were these um, people, <laughs> the 12 tribes of Israel? How, how, how perfect were they? How put together were they? Were they people that never sinned? Were there people that never had sexual affairs? And pe- Those 12 people were a mess. They sold their brother Joseph into slavery. I mean, if, if you think about those 12 people and you read this story, um, I tell you, it's going to be hard, but you can go... I'm a lot better than them. <laughs> it just naturally even comes out because of what they're doing. I, I haven't sold my brother to be killed. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just not, I haven't done that yet. But, yet? He's looking at me. <laughs> okay, maybe it'll come out a little bit. Yeah, that's right. He's going to plant his heaven on 12 tribes of Israel. Why would he do such a thing? You see how the Bible consistently points towards Christ? It points to Jesus. You don't look at the Old Testament people and say they were perfect. You look at the Old Testament people and say Jesus loved them enough to save them. So what takes place in heaven is that we will worship for an eternity of what Christ has done for us. And we will see the 12 tribes of Israel, and the word will continue to last, meaning that I think that we can read the sins that those 12 people had in their life but we get to read this but what do we get to see through that we get to see nothing but a grace of god nothing but the beauty of christ and nothing but the beauty of salvation so it's just interesting that heaven comes down and there's such an excitement about these the earth and the people on earth and the people are nothing but garbage but we worship a king who is not and who died in our stead and I think that's going to be a focus of heaven because they're not going to have the 12 gates named after them because they're good people. But they are going to be named after them because a promise was given to them and that promise was from Jesus and that promise has lasted and will last for an eternity. So then we can go to the foundations. What's the foundation going to look like? Let's read Revelation 21:14, And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the twelve names of who? The twelve apostles of the Lamb. Those twelve apostles, um, who were they? <laughs> Mentioned a little bit this morning. Dirty old fishermen that God made into somebody. A tax collector that God made into somebody. See, we don't get a worship them we get to worship the work that god has done through them and the work that god has done through the 12 tribes of israel which is just completely fascinating if we think about that that these people 12 apostles are going to consistently be named because this is the foundation of heaven be named for what for eternity we will know their names for eternity i'll ask you again does this world really matter do you really matter (laughs) to god is this planet the only one, or is there a whole bunch of planets out there that God's really just really invested in? Is there other planets that God has died for? Is there other planets that God, I mean, how many times does God die if we start thinking about this? I think as you read about the new heavens and the new earth, according to these passages that are given to us, 
I think we should be overwhelmingly um, moved back that there's something going on on this planet that God loves, that God is committed to, that God has made a, a commitment for, and he's made sure that he is going to die here for us, that he's going to die here for us. So it's extremely, extremely rich as we look at this new heavens. Uh, number five, the city will have streets of pure gold like transparent glass. Transparent gold is not a material that we are familiar with. It's not a material that this earth is familiar with. So if I try to draw you a picture of it, I will not be able to draw you a picture of it. But looking at the transparent, God's glory is going to consistently shine. If God's glory is going to consistently shine, nothing can get in the way of it. And maybe this is making a statement that gold won't even get in the way of the transparent of the glory of God shining. In other words, almost everything is going to be see-through just so the purpose of God's glory can be presented. The purpose of God's glory can be seen, so the purpose of God's glory can be worshipped, and so we can be moved by it. So yes, it's gold, but do you get excited about the gold? Or do you get excited about God's glory? <laughs> because I think the gold is just there for the transparent that God move, glory moves through it, and you'll be able to see it. Uh, see through it. Revelation twenty one twenty one, and the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, or were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent gold. I didn't put this in our notes, but one of the, another thing that's interesting is that you have know, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Um, we go through a lot of stones that is mentioned to show the glory of heaven. Um, the pearl is the only stone that com- or the pearl is the only stone that comes from a living organism. Comes from an, an oyster. Um, so what's taking place? The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Um, these twelve gates in the foundation of of the holy the city comes from something that was living, maybe representing Christ. Um, I, I believe that that's a, a strong a strong point that could be could be argued. Number six, in the city there was a river of the water of life. This uh, signifies a constant flow of everlasting life through God. Uh, what does the Bible talk a lot about? The Bible talks a lot about thirst. Um, what is salvation? Salvation is accepting Christ as your Savior. But do you just accept Him to get into heaven? Or do you start to thirst after Him? Do you start to want him more and more and more and more? Do you start to crave him more and more and more? I think that's the, that is the design. The salvation is the start of a relationship that continues to grow, and the item that makes it continue to grow is what? Is the, is the thirst. Is the hunger more for God? Revelation 22.1 says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where are we still going to get our nutrients in heaven? Where are we going to still get our excitement, our joy, our, our life? Where are we still going to get our, our energy? Where are we going to get all the things that come new? Uh, I believe it's going to be from this river. Coming from the throne room of God, we are going to consistently thirst for God. Thirst for his glory, thirst for his beauty. We talk about heaven, there's a lot of be worship. We're going to feed off of God, according to this verse, I believe. Feed off of God for eternity and love every minute of it because it will still be the source of 
life, the source of eternal life. And if it crosses the source of eternal life, um, will we feast off of that? I believe we will. John 4, 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well water springing up into eternal life. This is a, a statement that he gave to a woman at the well and say, you don't drink from this well. If you take, get my water, you'll never thirst again. That's what he's doing. He's giving us a, almost like a human experience of what heaven could be like. Grab a hold of salvation and keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Make that thirst happen. And what is going to happen? You're going to get a taste of heaven on earth because that's what heaven is going to be like. I've mentioned many times that, you know, if you go to heaven and God's not there, it's hell. <laughs> if you go to hell and God's there, it's heaven. You see, the source is going to be God when we, look at, when we look at heaven. And I think that in our world that we live in right now, we need to be thinking that way, in a way that God is the one that we're going to be like, this is absolutely amazing, more so than what kind of castle am I going to get? Am I going to get a corner lot? Am I going to get a lot on a mountain, a valley? What am I going to get? Um, that's almost a worldly way to think about it. The, the appropriate way to think about heaven is how much of God do I get to see? How much of God do I get to drink of? How much of God do I get to be around? And God is going to be with us all the time as we continue to work through these passages. But that's what makes heaven heaven. John 3.35, another piece of heaven on earth. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst. You want a little bit of heaven on earth? This would be our source of the river of life that is described in heaven, the source here. Number seven, in the city there will be a tree of life. There will be the tree of life. I should say the tree of life, yeah. Um, the reason why it says the tree is because there is a tree that takes place in Genesis, and the tree that is in Genesis is going to be there in Revelation, in heaven. Let's look at the passages. It's kind of a, an interesting passage. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree. Isn't that interesting? On each side of the river stood what? The, is one singular tree. <laughs> it's on this side, it's on this side. What is it? It's the tree. <laughs> I don't know, does it go over? Is it, it, it's one, but it's on each side of the river. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That verse is very confusing, if you really look at it. Uh, the reason why it's confusing is because it's yielding a fruit every month. Is there time in heaven? In other words, are we on the clock? Well, this is it's coming out every month. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really confusing. And uh, um, bearing uh, a fruit coming out every month. And what is the tr fruit for? It's for the healing of of the nations. Uh, aren't we already healed? <laughs> don't we have a, a, a new body? So we're going to do this every month, which I don't think there should be any time, and we're also going to um, find healing from the fruit. Um, aren't we already healed? Or are we not completely and entirely healed um, in heaven? Um, what I believe, my interpretation of, of this verse, and I've read some commentaries on it as well, but the interpretation of this verse is this is what we are going to be feeding off of. It's not going to be every month. 
we understand months. So they put it down there, feeding often off of this. What are we feeding off of? We're feeding off of the healing of the nations that has taken place as a result of Christ. And what I would interpret that verse is, we will never forget what Christ has done for us, and for an eternity, we will worship it forever and ever and ever. We won't have something new that will be like, okay, okay, God, what do you have new for us? We will have the old that continues to be new and rejoice over that for eternity. And what is that old? That old is ground zero, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we will be moved by it. We will be feeding off of it. We will be worshiping him because of it. And it will be something that we will never forget, something that we will always remember. As he said to Thomas, look at the nails in my hands and see the scars. Well, do those scars go away sometime? Are those scars going to be there for eternity? So we will always remember why we are with God. Now see, what's interesting about all that is who gets the credit for us being in heaven? <laughs> we get nothing. We get nothing. God says, I have done everything, and you will worship with me for eternity because I've done everything, and you have done nothing except receive me as your Savior. It humbles us as people that God does the work more and more. God does the work <laughs> to get us into heaven. And all we need to do is embrace, embrace the work. Proverbs 3, 18. This is very interesting because, again, it gives us a little bit of taste of what heaven's going to look like. Proverbs 3, 18 says, She is a tree of life. Now, she is wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who, who hold her fast. What's a tree of life? Wisdom will bring you what on this earth? A tree of life. There's another passage in Proverbs. The fruit of righteousness is what? A tree of life. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. So what's interesting is that we have Wisdom is a tree of life. Righteousness is a tree of life. Hope deferred is a tree of life. And a tongue is a tree of life. It's interesting that Proverbs says that. What's Proverbs, do you think, is doing? What do you think Proverbs is doing? As I mentioned before, is what is heaven? Everything functions the way that it's supposed to function. And the tree of life is feeding off of something that says, God, we have embraced you, heaven is ours, and everything functions the way it's supposed to function. Wisdom is what? Doing the right thing, the right time, in the right situation. Whatever God would do, you would do it. That's what's going to take place in heaven. Righteousness is what? It's just doing it right. Uh, hope that is deferred is what? This is what I hang on to. A soothing tongue. What about this tongue? Tongue has a fire in it. It is a rudder that turns the whole life. Everybody is going to have a tongue that is what? It's going to be perfect. Speak nothing but grace, nothing but beauty. Heaven is going to completely function the way that it's or the way that we were originally designed to function. 
And Proverbs is saying is if you can function like that, it's like feeding off the tree of life, the same tree of life that you'll feed off of in eternity. I miss that passage in Genesis. It just says that that tree of life was in the garden. And as it was in the garden, the angel is there to say, you can't feed off of it anymore. In other words, you have sinned, you're cast out, you can't go feed off of this thing to make life happen. That is the consequences of sin. So I'm just kind of going back there. I miss that verse. Number eight, in the city, there are 12 crops of fruit. Revelation 22.2, in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So what are the 12 crops of fruit? I don't know. (laughs) So if you look at the 12 crops of fruit, we can't get into great detail because we don't know exactly what it is. The body does not need food to survive. The body does not need the nutrients to survive. But the fruit does remind us of what? Reminds us of this world. The fruit does remind us of what? It also reminds us of the time that Adam and Eve ruined themselves as a result of the fruit. Is this a statement to us that kind of says, or that says, that the thing that destroyed human beings is going to be enjoyed for eternity because of the work that I have completed and the work that he's done. I think when they're talking and describing about heaven, these are little aspects that are being described, that we are going to have reminders in heaven that are going to bring things to life. And it's always going to point back to the fall of man, the cross of Christ, and the glory that we get because of the cross of Christ. Number nine in the city is the throne of God and the Lamb. The throne is a place where God rules. The throne is a place where God sits. The throne is the place that we come to worship. Revelation 22, 3-4, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Consistently, we will go through into the throne room of grace, similar like we can now through prayer, but this would be face-to-face with God. It's going to be the most beautiful area in heaven. Whenever we talk about, even if you read a book of somebody who died and and saw heaven, um, even if I disagree with it, um, that that has traveled all the way to heaven and seen the throne room of grace, I, I disagree with that. But even then, if somebody does die and a book is written, it's always talking about the throne room of God. The throne room of God is where we will bow down and worship. It is where we will serve. It is where we'll give his glory. It is where we will um, be completely enamored, enamored by. So really fast, we're just going to go through a couple pictures. And then we're going to ask you, what's wrong with them? And uh, the reason why is because I've tried to see what heaven looks like via internet. (laughs) And, and, and we, we do. We want to. Everybody has a picture of heaven. And, um, but what does that picture look like? And what is the picture that we view? What is the picture that we think of? 
And as we look at these passages, let's just look at the pictures, and I will tell you that this is just Google. So it's just the world saying, okay, I'm just pulling them off of Google. Give me a view of what heaven looks like I want to know. Um, because in our minds, we keep on thinking of that, and I tell you, we can't conceive it, but we are drawing pictures. So let's just uh, go through a couple pictures to see uh, what would be wrong with this picture. Or just, you know, find things wrong with it. I think we have pictures. They're on their way. <laughs> Not a problem. Is it going to be a little bit? Oh, there's no pictures. All right. Well, you guys don't get it. Look what heaven looks like then. <laughs> next week. You go, okay, we'll show you guys next week. So you guys have to remember this because, uh, because we do want to show you, you know, exactly what the, you know, um, yeah, you have to remember this lesson because you have to compare it to the Bible. <laughs> so in other words, you have to, there has to be this competition that takes place. What does the Bible say heaven looks like? And what is, you know, what do the pictures show that heaven looks like? So this will give us a chance to... Um, um, ask any questions um, and those things, and maybe give us a chance to leave early then. What's that? S- Pearly gates and street of gold is what heaven looks like. Except they throw that transparent word in there. It just throws us all off. What does gold look like? Oh, no, what does transparent gold look like? Woo! Fabricated from somewhere else besides this planet. No shopping centers in heaven. Yeah, you know what? You won't, yeah, that's right, because everything's new. You just, you just, yeah. <laughs> I almost said something. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything, everything's new. Any other questions or comments? Pearly Gates? Go ahead, go ahead, Francis, I'll, um, as the microphone's coming down. Is if there is a river, we can go fishing. You know, that's Dee's theology. And you know what? He's come up with a couple passages that do look like it. <laughs> so I, I would say that there is a river, but last time we did say that there is no, um, you know, um, hydraulic system because there's no sea that evaporates that causes rivers to flow. So the river comes from the throne. So what does the fish look like? Because they come from the throne. Very healthy. Very robust, very attractive to hooks, probably. Yeah, we can just keep on talking here, and we can get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, sorry, Katrina. I'm sorry. We're just. <laughs> you're t- it here, you want to give her a microphone because I'd I'd love to answer that question. Well, we just wondered where the pearls came from because there's no sea and then there's no oysters. That's, That's all. A very good question. The only answer we can have from that question is uh, um, Ro- um, John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you into myself, that where I am there may, may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. Where is he getting his resources? Because <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's being prepared right now. It's interesting. Um, is he using RC, or is he using a pearl just for the purpose of saying, you know, hey, we're going to connect you with the sea that you used to have that you don't have anymore? Very good question, though. Where is he getting the, where are you getting the pearls? It's, he can do just about anything, I think. 
<laughs> he can do just about anything. He, I don't think that he went to the, um, yeah, he, he can do just about anything. I, I really think that the pearl um, there that is, is mentioned um, is, is there because it's a living organism. And it is the living organism that has brought us into heaven. And that would be Jesus Christ. Everything of these things are just pointing us to, to Jesus. And, um, and I think that that, that would be, because it's the foundational piece of heaven. And it's a foundational piece of our salvation. It's a foundational piece for eternity. It's a foundational piece for everything. So, yes. Um, before I let Steve ask a question, I'm going to forget this, so I'm just going to say it. Um, next week is going to be our last lesson. Um, and then we're going to take a week off before Easter. Because um, I might be gone. I, I am going to be gone. <laughs> um, so I will be gone that week and won't be teaching. So we're just going to not go. So next week... We're going to finish it off, and it's going to get even more intense when it comes to heaven. Next week will be fun. But, uh, um, and, then, and then we're done from there. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, i got two points. I, it seems like God doesn't want any Japanese in heaven because if there's no oceans, there's no fresh fish for them to eat. And they must have fresh fish. But we just talked about the throne. The throne and the robust fish. I agree with Dee's theology. Dee's theology is correct. There is going to be big fish that are attracted to hooks in heaven. Okay. My real question is, <laughs> yeah. you quoted that the city of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, comes out of heaven and plunked down there on earth. What happens to the heaven that they came from? Does it evaporate or drain into the new heaven? Or, or do we fly back to it? But it, the New Jerusalem is heaven, isn't it? New Jerusalem is heaven. Yeah. So what's what was up there? Heaven? New Jerusalem's capital of heaven. Washington D.C. is the capital of the United States. So is there going to be? I've never been an to escalator between the real heaven and. But Jerusalem? I could go to Washington D.C. <laughs> could I go to the third heaven? It, it doesn't doesn't seem to talk about that though. That, uh, it doesn't. Because I think that that's where um, that's where it gets a little crazy. So we'll we'll play with that a little bit next week. A lot of good but what's going to really happen is that there is, this is going to be the capital. New heavens, or the, the new earth, the new heavens, and I would say heavens is plural, atmospherical heavens, and then even heavens that are beyond. Those heavens are going to be doing what? They will be looking at the capital. Where is the capital going to be? It's going to be a planet, because I mean it says new earth. So the heavens above and the universe is going to be directed to where? Planet. Now, can I get to the universe? Can I get to the heavens? Good question. That's why God doesn't really talk about it. <laughs> because I, well, we have access to everything. Um, why wouldn't we have access to everything? And what are we going to have access to? I really think that the New Jerusalem... Um, is, is a focal point of God's beauty and God's glory, and it's something that we will feed off of. And that's why God has given us a description of the new Jerusalem. But there will be more out there, if God's working with size, which he is, there will be more out there that we will enjoy, but it won't be the ultimate. So if there is a heaven that's beyond the stars or a heaven that is in space, it's not going to be the ultimate. <coughs> In other words, if we go to the third heaven and, and enjoy that for a little bit, we're going to say, i got to get back to the ultimate, which will be the New Jerusalem. 
Do we keep the same way? You want to? Is that a? Is that um, a, a joyful <laughs> question or not a? Jo- <laughs> it's a joyful. That's a good question. Do we keep the same mates? I know the answer to that. You don't know. I do know the answer. Oh, what is it? Because there's an answer in the Bible that um, that you will not be married in heaven. Right. So. Oh. So. So I could just pass him by and say hi and goodbye, huh? Yeah. No. Say say that again. I could just pass him on the golden streets and say hi and goodbye. No, I, I think, <laughs> I think that um, there is going to be something beyond intimacy in heaven, and uh, I don't want to get into it because it can even get graphic. But there's going to be, so, I mean, not graphic, graphic, but you know, <laughs> there's going to be God is fully known we will be fully known. What does that mean? Our emotions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our connectiveness, everything will be so um, out there. All of our, our hidden secrets. Um, they were naked before in the garden, and they were not ashamed because they were a whole with knowing each other. Um, in those, I'm not going to say we're going to be naked in heaven. We'll have clothes in heaven. <laughs> and those kind of things. But there's going to be a dynamic that we will know about God and that we will know about each other that who really cares if we're, you know, I gotta watch out and say, who really cares if we're married because we make the statements until death do us part because we will not be married in heaven, but there's gonna be something so glorious, something so beautiful, and maybe in the connection so strong with Christ that Dan just won't be all that attractive anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> no, they, they, you, guys would be co- you guys would be completely connected in those things, but there's going to be that unified connection between human beings or people that are in heaven that is going to be uncomprehensible. And, um, and so I get, I get a little upset with, not upset, I get a little disappointed with that as well. You know, I have a wife that I walk through this life with uh, all the way through, and and, um, and I want to be connected to her in a way that, that she would be mine, but almost in a sense that we will all be all everybody's in such a, you know, I don't know, I'm talking over my head, but in such a relationship that you don't want to separate from people to the point where I'll take you, you take here, let's, let's you know, try to come, come to the connections about that, and then instinctively we will love that, that we're not separated from everybody. Um, in that regards. What does that look like? I don't know, but I, I, it's, it's going to be something. We'll find out. Yes, and then don't write anything down of what I just said, because I don't know. <laughs> I'm just guessing. So, this very... Uh, Mike, uh, the number 12 has been mentioned several times, and I'm still trying to connect that 12 of those crops with the children, with the brothers of Jacob. And uh, when we talk about those brothers, those 12 brothers, and what they did to Joseph, you know, uh, we tend to, to relate the story about the, 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 um, the evil that they did. But when you look at it from the other side, uh, Joseph was sent ahead to preserve the genetics of the Jewish faith. And even those, even though those dis, those twelve brothers probably didn't handle it very good, maybe we wouldn't have done any better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
But on the other hand, they did bring the food for their subsistence back to the home to keep that tribe going. Okay, so then we go through Egypt and all that problem, and we get out of Egypt and we're headed for the promised land. Uh, these 12 brothers are probably deceased by that time they got to the Jordan River. But it's their kin that went across, and what did they do? They again preserved the Jewish tribe, so it stayed in existence. So my question is, you know, this 12 is mentioned several times. Was that, you know, we may not call it fruit, we might call it grain or something else. But they obviously were effective in sustaining the Jewish tribe. And then they went on. Some did good with their land that they got, and some didn't. Some took it over like they were supposed to, and some didn't, which is kind of typical of us today, too, you know? So I think we got it. What come to me this morning is that I think we've got to be careful how hard we come down on them brothers, because uh, they were, uh, they had the old flesh in them just like we might. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing is they did preserve the tribe twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was God's people. So to me, yeah. maybe that is the fruit. That's my question. Yeah. Very, very good question. Um, I would not go down on them harder than I would go down on myself. And I would not go down on them harder than, I mean, just if I was going to talk, then I'd go down on you. <laughs> I'd go down on you. And the goal of saying that they were... Um, ugly is a goal to say that they were forgiven and if you look at the 12 tribes jesus is all the way through it and um and when when you come through the the pictures of jesus being all the way through it the 12 tribes got a second chance and did they get a second chance at their merit or did they get a second chance at god's merit through joseph so what happens is that you have these 12 tribes that messed up and were they repentive? Yes, they were repentive. Who were they repentive to? They were repentive because they had the opportunity to be repentive. And then we get the word, you know, in Genesis that it says, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good and brought the one brother that you sold, and the one brother you sold is now your Savior, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus saying, you're messed up, but you got a second chance. And as you got the second chance, you can be put back together again. And then as we saw them get put back together again, yes, they were successful in some areas, and yes, they failed in areas, but the only way to look at the 12 tribes of Israel is to say, and, and this is my mind, you can disagree with me, but I would say are, are complete losers. The only way to look at me as a complete loser, the only way to look at Moses is somebody that is a sinful individual that is in desperate need of a Savior. And the only reason we can be anything or do anything is because of the grace that Jesus has given to us. And what that does, it pulls all strength out of us because we have no strength to get to heaven. And it puts all strength into Jesus, the one that did it all, lived perfect because Moses didn't live perfect. Elijah didn't live perfect. Neither did the 12 tribes of Israel live perfect. The whole Testament is full of a whole bunch of people that are messing up. 2018 is full of a whole bunch of people are messing up. They're not doing anything right. 
but there's one man who did. And that would again point to Christ going to the cross, raising so we can be saved, so we can be used for Christ. But should the 12 tribes even get credit for that? No, Christ would get credit for that. Should I or you or anybody else get credit for anything? It points everything that Christ would get credit for everything. So I am pretty aggressive <laughs> when I speak that way. Um, and, and it's, you know, the reason I would be aggressive in speaking that way is I'm always looking at me, thinking that God is using a loser, somebody that is sinful, something that d- deserves hell, somebody who has earned hell, somebody that should be damned because of everything that he's done. But for some reason, we can come up here and open up the Word of God and say, we have a Jesus so we can keep moving forward. But as we keep moving forward, the only credit that we can ever give is to go back to that cross. There's a lot of books that are written about the Old Testament um, of look at the Old Testament characters and be like them. <clears throat> In other words, be like David. Should I be like David when he um, killed Goliath or when he slept with Bathsheba? Um, if I'm like David when he slept with Bathsheba, I'll say, well, no, no, just be like that, but don't be like that. So what happens is it, it, it really gets messed up, and that's why the perfect Savior came down that everything points to. Um, that's why I can just, uh, that's why I use the aggressive words that, oh, they're losers, but I am. so am I, so are you. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're offended, but we're saved by the blood of God. We're not saved by our own merit. And that's why that aggression will continue, it continues to come out, is because we always get a point to Jesus, and as a result, we get a smile, and we get to be alive, and we get to be excited, and that's, but I, I appreciate that, that comment, Vern, because, yeah, I am rough, I was rough on them, and just because I'm worse than they were, they killed their brother, and I haven't killed my brother yet, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. I just had, you know, just had to say, it. I mean, they didn't kill their brother either. They threw their brother in prison. So, but that's, that's a theology that, that, um, like if, if, if I'm ever speaking, that's theology that I just consistently hang on to is that, um, is that the credit, the glory, the beauty, the power, all the way all through the Old Testament doesn't go to Moses because he doesn't want it to go to, doesn't go to Elijah, doesn't go to Joseph doesn't go to the 12 tribes. All those are just examples of what Christ does with people. And, um, and when he does something with people, you don't get to see the person, you get to see, you get to see God. And, um, and I believe that when the pillars or the foundations or the gates that are written in the 12 tribes of Israel, you don't get to just look at Joseph and say, that was one good man that walked on the earth. I believe that you get to look at that and say, that was a man that Jesus died for, that was committed to and made a covenant, from, or made a covenant to and is now a foundational piece, not because of who he was, but because of what Christ did for him. And that's what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration when you had the three, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and the audible voice speaking, this one is my son, who I am well pleased. Yes. Um. I, just for clarification, when it says the lion will lay with the lamb, mm-hmm. that's the millennial, right? Um, or is um, that up there with the animals? It's uh, a <laughs> it's re- <laughs> uh, uh, good question. It would be it would be with uh, it would be with heaven. So that's that's my mind. Um, it would be it would be with it would be with heaven. 
Yes, Annette. But we, oh, go ahead, Rich, give her a microphone. So it, it's not the millennial reign, it's up in heaven, like what you've been explaining? Um, well, we have to think about um, heaven and the millennial reign. Where's the millennium at? The millennium is on this planet. Where is the capital of heaven at? Is on the new planet, but this planet that has been resurrected and, and, and everything is, is, on, is on this planet. Um, everything that's going to be happening where is literally on this planet. I believe that the change would be on this planet when you have the new heavens and new earth that, that are here. So, but when it comes to the millennium, you know, there's, there's so much to talk about when it, comes, when it comes there. There's so much separation. What's the millennium? What's not the millennium? What's happening? What's not happening? You know, those kind of things. So it is hard to, um, to, to anchor everything into that. It is 1116, so we better, we better stop.